The IMG Roadmap is the only podcast dedicated to coaching international medical graduates and success blueprints for this unique pathway. I am Dr. Nina Loom, your host, a previous IMG turned hospital medicine physician, healthcare administrator, speaker, and coach. I empower, encourage, and equip you with actionable steps that you can take towards the residency position of your dreams. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the IMG Roadmap Podcast. I can't believe we're almost a year into this. I remember November last year, November 2019, when I started recording for this, and I thought nobody's going to listen to this, but here we are. Today's guest is a very special physician, Dr. Joanna Schertz. I only just met her recently, but I'm not going to tell you guys about her. Let her introduce herself to us. Welcome to the show, Dr. Schertz. How are you? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So everybody's going to be like, well, who is Dr. Schertz, right? So can you give us a little introduction there? Yeah, definitely. So I'm a pediatric GI gastroenterologist attending physician in Atlanta. So a little background, quick background. So I was born in Poland. I actually grew up for half the year at a time in Poland, half the year in the States up until high school. So high school was the first time I've been to the States. And so I think in terminology sense, um, I'm call, um, what's classified as a U.S. IMG, right? Yes. Versus a non-U.S. IMG. And so I was able to receive my citizenship through my parents when they came to the States. And then we can kind of go through that a little bit. But I did school in Chicago undergrad, and then I went back to Poland for medical school. So that's that's kind of the background. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about the school you went to in Poland and what was your decision? What was the sort of the mindset that you were in when you decided to go to Poland for medical school? I wasn't sure what I was going to do at first. So I played a division one sport in college and I didn't take my MCAT until my senior year. And so I had the choice of either doing a gap year before applying to a medical school, or I was still able to meet the deadline for the Poland program. And so the medical school is is called Poznań University of Medical Sciences. And it is, I think, one of four or five English programs, medical school programs in Poland. And so I was able to apply on time with my MCAT score. That was good. And so that I was so super thankful because if, if that wouldn't have worked out, then I would have had to take a gap and, you know, try other things. And so it's a four-year program. We went through a lot of the same NBMEs and tests that are that are in the U.S. program schools. Everything was in English, and so the transfer of NBMEs and and then you know the guidance on steps was was good because I felt like I didn't feel necessarily that. They didn't go through the process which the Polish medical schools go through, which is completely different because that's like a six-year program. It, it, you know, they were able to mimic a lot of the schools in the U.S. So I think that's what made it a lot easier for me to be able to come back. 
And I think it really mimics a lot of the Caribbean schools too. I've had a lot of friends that I've talked to that seemed to kind of go through that same process. Right. So, you know, just for the, for the listener who's thinking about this and saying, what's an NBME? So an NBME is the, it's an, those are exams that are published by the National Board of Medical Examiners. And they are sort of like the overarching institution over the USMLE. And so there are forms that you can find on their website which are kind of like mock exams for international medical students and graduates that they can take the test and mimic, you know, sort of a sample USMLE type format. So for those who are listening who don't know this, that's what we're talking about. But to your point, I think NBMEs are a strong way to prepare for anybody listening who is looking to come back into the U.S. system. Mm -hmm. Because it's one way to begin to assimilate yourself to what the U.S. question and answer structure is for medical education, and then also another way to test your or assess your readiness for the USMLE. So just just a pointer out there for those who are listening, even if you're not in a, if you're not, for, well, if you're not in a situation where you could be like Dr. Schertz, where you get that opportunity of being in a school where it mimics the U.S. curriculum. It sounds like that's exactly what your school did. And so they're basically preparing physicians that are going to come in here as well to practice in the States. So if you're in a school that doesn't do that, doesn't mean you don't stand a chance. You could still do these NBMEs on your own and then you know still prepare for the exam that way. So let's go back to talking about your journey because that's what we do on the IMG Roadmap Podcast. We want to know your roadmap, exactly how it happened and everything so that we can learn from it more importantly. So can you walk us through how you prepared for USMLE and all the way into getting into general pediatrics residency? Because we're going to come to fellowship too, but let's talk about the residency part. Yeah, so I think the biggest thing that was really helpful is my school did provide a Kaplan course for us. And so that was nice, but that wasn't really my style of learning, which I kind of figured that out during my first step. And so, you know, those were the group, the big group um, lectures and everyone kind of does everything together. And so I did that for my step one. And I'll be honest, I think like my step one, I was nervous after I took it and I got my score back because I was comparing to the national average for pediatrics and I was five points below at that time. And so I was like, shoot, you know, I was trying to aim for that or higher as an ING. And I even threw so many tests, right? We did so many tests in college, so many tests in med school. That wasn't, I still didn't figure out my exact study methods until really step two. And that was by myself writing in an actual like planner. I made my own schedule, how many questions I was going to do each day. And I crossed it all out and I was able to guide myself. And my step two score was so much better than my first score because that was just the way I learned best. And it took, you know, 20 some years to figure that out, but that's what happened. And I think, I think figuring out the best way that, you know, you don't need the $2,000 course to, or whatever it was to be able to prepare how the best way you study. And that is my biggest kind of tip is to know what works best for you earlier on. And so with that though, so I took the steps and then in my fourth year, we did clerkships back in the States. So 
it's changed now. Um, they have more affiliations with schools, I guess pre-COVID now, I don't know what's happening exactly, but, but they're, they had affiliation, they have affiliations now where students in certain specialties can go back and to the States or wherever they're from. Actually, my med school was a third of us were from the United States trying to go back to the States. A third were from Canada, trying to go back to Canada. And then a third were from England, going back to England. And so you did your clerkships where you wanted to eventually try to match to. And that was the biggest struggle, I think, because we didn't have those kind of connections initially. So it was a lot of me reaching out to friends and family members and people that weren't doctors that knew somebody that knew somebody. And I was lucky to be able to get two pediatric rotations. I did one OB-GYN in a very rural area. I did some dermatology and some radiology. So I really got what I could get. And even though I knew that I liked the primary care route, I took whatever, took whatever I could get to get my foot into hospitals you know, and programs back in the States. Right. So, you know, that's a hot topic that you brought up because there are so many IMGs that reach out to me asking about how to network to get Mm -hmm. rotations. Can you talk to us a little bit more in detail as to what you did? Because one of the things that I did personally was I emailed programs and I asked them specifically, can I get an elective in your department for four weeks? I am a student of a Caribbean medical school and I don't understand for the life of me why students are no longer doing that. They're not? I, I, don't, I don't know. Like if they are, then they wouldn't be asking me these questions, right? <laughs> right. That's, that's my thought. It's like, wouldn't that be the first thing to do is to seek yeah. out yeah. programs that you want to go to and just reach out to them? Like it cannot be that complex. So tell me kind of what you did or what you recommend that someone does if they ask that question. Yeah. So I think when you reach out to bigger programs or well-known names, I think that might be harder because they have regulations and they have their own rules and who they take. And some might not take international medical students, some do like, you know, and so I actually reached out to a lot more of the smaller, either private practices, anybody that I could know that knew anybody in in medicine. And so, and so that I rotated in private practices, actually the two pediatrics ones were private practice and the OB-GYN was not through a big center. It was a hospital in a rural area. And so I, the letters of recommendations that I got from the U S programs were from private practice physicians, which was, um, I also emailed. And so that was the biggest thing. And I felt like it was easier for them to say yes, because they don't have these big powers that are, you know, that you have to go through really to make sure you have your vaccines or, you know, whatever have you that there, you have to provide all these documentations and, and, and such. And so, and you already have those because everybody has them for schools, right. For med schools Mm and programs. And so it was a little bit easier to get a yes, (laughs) that way. And so I, and I took whatever I could get. So two weeks of dermatology. Great. I'm going to take that, even though I wasn't applying for dermatology, radiology. Awesome. But then when I was there, you know, for the ob we would do a delivery or two, and then I would follow, you know, to the NICU if they had that, or I would follow to the nursery and just be like, Hey, can you connect me with the pediatrician that's going to do rounds tomorrow? I mean, it was, it was a lot of connecting through 
maybe non-traditional ways. But really like a lot of putting yourself out there and really kind of going for what you want. And I think that sometimes IMGs, we are so like into ourselves. And I mean, that's when I say it, like we're so into ourselves. The reason I mean, what I'm saying is this, we're so focused on what everybody else thinks about us that we are not even willing to dare to try. And that's holding us back. So in your case, what I'm hearing is you're like, you know what? I don't care if I, if nobody gives me the time of day, I don't care if it's a no, I don't care if they tell me the pediatrician doesn't want to see you. I'm just going to ask and yes. then figure it out. Yes. And so I think when I say that we're so much into ourselves, it's because we're consistently focused on what that rejection will look like, that we're not willing to take the plunge. Like we're not willing to take the risk. It's It has to be that we saw somebody do it before we do it, right? But that shouldn't necessarily be the case because you just tried and here you are a pediatric gastroenterologist. I can't speak a pediatric gastroenterologist now, but here you are. It, you didn't just like fall from space. Like it took you taking steps in the direction of what you wanted, knowing full well that you didn't have a plan. You didn't have a process. Your school did not necessarily create all these opportunities for you, but you created some of them for yourself. Right. And I'll just to piggyback on this too, Another one of the things I did is, you know, when you apply, once I applied through ERS to all the programs, and I can tell you a little bit more about what my strategy was, which, which worked, but I, I applied broadly. I did a lot of primary care stuff. So family medicine too, and I did sports. And so I was always thinking like, you know, if not pediatrics, I would be really happy with family medicine and maybe doing like a sports med year as well. And so I, I was open to a few things, but when I applied, I applied to pretty much like every program in the Midwest and then like East of, you know, Arkansas, so anything there um, based on location to some family and whatnot, but the programs I didn't hear back from. And so some programs will email you back and say, I'm so sorry to inform you. We don't have any more space or we are not taking an IMG, which I got a lot of too. And the programs, and there were programs that didn't, that there was like this, you know, radio silence. And so I emailed every single program that I did not hear from within, I think it was like, I made a schedule and I wrote this down. It was like, I gave him like, I think two or three weeks to review applications. And if I didn't hear back from them, I would email personal emails to these program directors and or coordinators. Cause I think those, that that's what was available saying that I'm interested. And actually that's how I was able to interview for where I ended up matching is they did not have a spot for me. And I kept not, I didn't do it excessively, but I did it. I followed up with them when they told me to, and they put me on a wait list because I was, you know, consistent with um, expressing my interest. They put me on a, on a wait list and then it was a Friday and they called me for an interview on that Tuesday because somebody canceled. And so you know, my dad was like, all right, we're going to get in the car. We're going to drive down to Tennessee. Like we're doing this. And so, and so that's where I ended up matching. And so it's, it seems like it was a lot of work and, but that's what it took to be able to get to where I was and to get that chance. And so it was worth it. It was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love, I love that story because I did a very similar thing. I emailed a couple of programs that I hadn't heard from 
uh, very specific. I actually didn't email. I called. This was mm-hmm. back in, I don't, what year was it? 2011. So I called programs. Mm-hmm. I just sat down, went on the AC Jemmy website. It had the, it had their name, you know, and all that stuff, their information. And I started calling one after the other. I was nervous, sweating bullets. Yes. And you almost call and you hope that nobody answers the call <laughs> so that you could say that you just called and nobody answered. But I fell on a program coordinator whom I still talk to, to today because that's where I ended up going to residency. But she was like, oh, your name. I We looked at your application. We actually had it on the wait list. So I was on that second list, not the first that was yeah. getting invitations. But the reason, because I called, they pulled me out from. Yes. And yes. she said, you know, well, now that you've given us a call, we're going to just, you know, we'll look at this a little bit closer and we'll be in contact with you. And I called a few other ones too. I don't know if that influenced whether I got a, a interview at the other place or not, but it was like after that, that's when things opened up, so to speak. Now, I don't know the regulations with ERAS today because it's changed a lot as to what you can or cannot do. And so everybody listening, you have to take the responsibility for yourself to investigate what the regulations are for this year that you're listening to this podcast, because it may have changed dramatically to where you reaching out could adversely affect you compared to it being a benefit to you. So if the ERAS is saying, don't reach out to programs outside of the ERAS, then you can't necessarily do that. But if there are no specifications around it, or if it's a smaller tier program and they're open to communicating with you, then you really don't know, just like Dr. Schertz, you could, it could be your opportunity to get called. So Dr. Schertz, how many interviews do you end up going to? It was very slow in the beginning. Like I had one and then two, and I ended up getting 20 interviews, which was really great. It was, but it was a mixture of family medicine and and pediatrics. And I tailored my application when it came to the personal statement for both. And then I ended up ranking, I ended up going to 12 and I ranked two pediatrics and then a family med. And then just, I really jived with the family. med. so to me, it was more like, how do I feel in, you know, after that interview versus am I so passionate about, you know, pediatrics versus family med? Yeah. So that's, that's just my, that was, you know, how I felt. And so, and so I had a, um, a mixture of, in my rank list and I, I, I got my second choice. And so, which it was, it, it's interesting because, you know, you always, uh, I was very grateful. I'm so grateful I matched, but I was always like, well, why didn't I match in that first choice? Like, what was it? Right. And then looking back now, it was a lot smaller program than the one I matched to. I really liked the folks there, but my match was a blessing in disguise because at a bigger program, I had more opportunities than to meet with and get exposure to pediatric GI. And that helped me to match into fellowship. And so, and so it's just, it's just interesting how that happens and you don't really know what that will be like. And I mean, I, I listened to a few podcasts and sometimes you just need one interview, right? (laughs) So absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing, so let's just kind of backtrack a little bit because some people want to know, well, if you got 20 interviews, how many programs did you apply to? Oh, yeah. Do you remember I, what number that was for you? I think I applied to over 125 programs. Yeah, yeah. And so, that was a mixture of both pizza. Of both. Yeah. And did you, did you use any particular strategy to say, 
you know, I'm going to give 50% of my applications to one specialty and 50% to the other or 70, 40. Yeah, I did more pediatrics and the family med ones I did closer to where my family was. Yeah. And so, and that's the Midwest. Um, and so, and I did my research. I mean, I knew the IMG friendly programs in New York and um, New Jersey for both. And so I, I looked at the stats on how many residents were IMGs in those programs. And so I really did a lot of that homework before applying and it was expensive. And that was the thing I was, you know, it was, but I like bit the bullet, you know, I was like, if this yeah. is going to, this is going to be my one chance I'm going to apply to. All right. And so I didn't do anything kind of in the West coast and Colorado, California area. It wasn't drivable to family, but I did everything, you know, Midwest and East coast. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. So, you know, let's talk a little bit about fellowship because I think sometimes as IMGs, we don't, we can't see so far ahead. So we can't see how we're even going to make it into fellowship when we can't even make it into like residency or even just trying to get through maybe studying for the steps or getting a clerkship or whatever level that we're in at this point in our journey. But can you speak a little bit to maybe the performance of or the idea of being an IMG that's planning a, a fellowship? Does it even matter at that point? Right. Yeah. No. <laughs> It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're an IMG. It doesn't matter if you're a DO. It doesn't matter if you're an MD. It was interesting. So in pediatrics, GI was was more competitive in the sense that there were a lot more applicants for the spots that were available, especially for my year two. And so it was competitive. But you know, I'm and now I'm doing I'm doing the reviews for our fellowship applications, and so. We don't look, that's not things we look at. We, you, this, uh, you know, where, you know, where you're, where you did med school necessarily, we do look where you're coming from, but we still look at those step scores, you know? And so that's the thing is that's, that will stay with you. Yeah. And so, and so I feel like I have had friends that have failed their step one or step two. And that is the biggest thing that I think programs look at and they almost sometimes just filter. And, you know, when you, when they have all the applications come in, they filter that the applicants that failed their step score. And so is it fair? No, I mean, it's not because you don't get that chance, but there are programs that do that for purposes of volume, you know, and so of other applications that they're getting. So the step is so still so important. But then after, when you're going from residency to fellowship, we look a lot into what your interests were in residency. And, you know, if you did work with that specialty that you're applying for, did you do a retrospective study or did you write a case report or did you present at a conference within that specialty. So that's, you know, that's really what we, what we value after, you know, between residency and, and fellowship. It's not what med school you went to actually for my co-fellow and I were both IMGs and our, and she went to medical school in Australia and she was Canadian. And I went to med school in, in Poland and um, I was Polish. And so, and we both matched. And so it's just, so that part it's nice to kind of get that part off of your shoulders once you're in that. But I will tell you this, I mean, the step score still kind of, you know, follow. Yeah. And I, I like that you said that because I think 
there is a subconscious mind block that mm-hmm. IMGs have, and it's not our fault, right? It's it's everything that we've read on the blogs, on the forums, what people tell us. And I'm like, why aren't there people on the rooftops talking about the influence that IMGs have in the medical community or the good things that are happening? There's this huge focus on how we don't stand a chance and how you know, certain things are just out of, out of sight, you know, like thinking you could be a pediatric gastroenterologist. is just like far-fetched when indeed that's not true, but because we're so stuck in listening to opinions and usually more so the negative opinions than the positive ones. Right. And I really like that you mentioned that because in, in my experience, though I have not done the fellowship, I have never met any physicians that work in academia right now that tell me that they still look at schools when it comes to fellowship. Right. It's it's your scores. Those scores are going to stick with you. It's your performance and residency. And even those with low scores, they still get in if they've done all the work as far as they've gone to the yeah. society meetings, they've yeah. presented, they have a mentor, 100% that, you know, agreed. someone that is big in that society or whatever. Those are the things that help them more. So their relationships and their actions in residency matter a lot more than the school they went to. So really, in my opinion, I think the challenge for IMGs is getting into residency. Once you get in, there's nothing, in my opinion, that can hold you back. There's absolutely nothing. And even, even for those who get in in one specialty and want to change paths, it's just a lot easier once you first get in yes. than like anything else. So I really appreciate, I really appreciate you saying, get in touch with you. Like where find you, what is your, because they want to connect with you. I'm sure I haven't asked all the potential, but if you wants to get you or connect with you, how can they do that? So I am on Instagram, gastrodoc.md. I'm very open to medical students, residents reaching out. I've been a mentee to many high school students and to college students through the process. And so I am definitely open to messages. It might take me a little bit but to answer, but I promise I will do my very best to answer um, in a timely manner. Yeah, absolutely. So at gastrodoc.md on Instagram. So we have that in the show notes as well. So that any that's listening that wants to connect with you can reach out on Instagram. We'll have all that information tagged. Do you have any last pieces of advice for us, for IMGs that are listening right now that are thinking, wow, Dr. Shirts, you make it sound so easy, right? Uh, you make it sound like it just happened and here you are with 20 interviews and then you end up matching. And so can you just speak to that person who feels like they can't relate or their problem is so much larger than yours was or that, you know, whatever mindset that they're in that is, you know, kind of holding them back. Can you just give them some words of wisdom? Yeah, definitely. I think that the fact that you're even listening to these podcasts and reaching out on, you know, all these different means, whether it's social media or other folks and their connections, you're already one step ahead than I was, I think too. And so getting great resources and info on personal statements, on study patterns, on resources, study banks. I mean, 
things that are going to help you in whatever part you are in your medical journey, that's the best. We have that access now, thankfully through social media. I mean, I think we had, I just, you know, was, I was on Facebook and that's it back in the day. Yeah, but, me too. It was just Facebook. There's so many resources, so many great resources. And of course you have to look at, you know, what is accredited in the sense that that has good information out there too, and, and positive information out there too, and real information, because that can also, social media can also bog you down with a lot of things too. But the fact that you're already listening to these, you know, following recommendations on, on the different steps that you're doing, that's fabulous. Like that's already, you know, an air clap right there for you. And then getting those connections, reaching out, taking the extra step. Sorry. One last thing I wanted to mention is, you know, after interviews or after my uh, rotations, I hand, I still, I hand every single thank you card. And I know that was the beginning of all the internet stuff and the emails and whatnot, but I really took the time to think how I was going to thank people for their time because they gave me a chance. And so it sounds super, a little bit, a little like cliche, but I, I did that. And I think that went a long way. And my program coordinator still kept the thank you card that I wrote to her after my interview, because I really spent so much time thinking about the best words to put together in a little, in a little space. And so do the extra work because there are a lot of folks aren't doing that. And then they kind of wonder what happened and you already listening to these podcasts and um, looking at your resources are, that's phenomenal. Um, what you've done too in your, on your page, I wish I had that information when I was amazing. I really loved it. You know, I think we can both say that we're fairly successful in whatever we're doing as far as medicine, but when I look back, I just wonder what it would have been if I had some of the resources that I put out now. Yep. And so I hope that the other people coming up behind us have this yeah. that so that they can make choices so that they can, you know, sort of be in the right place at the time doing the right thing. Cause really that's how it happens. You just aligned with how things fall, you know, at a certain time. So yeah, it got me a little emotional there because I, I I'm not going to cry. <laughs> We're not going to shed a tear, but yeah, that's really why, why I started this is I wish, I wish I had this. Yeah. yeah. And thanks for coming on sharing your story. We really appreciate having you on. We'll have your information in the show notes guys. So you can go follow her. She does additional uh, stuff on, the, on the gram. I love it. And I've so many phenomenal ones like yourself through Instagram. So it's just been a delight for me. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you.